We are now well past the halfway point of this book. Won't be too much longer that we'll be saying, let's turn together to the book of Philippians. And our text this morning is another one of these famous wall-hanging texts, texts that inspire us throughout our Christian walk. It is Philippians 3, verses 12 through 16. If you would please give attention to the reading of the Word of God. It is holy. It is inerrant. It is sufficient. And it is authoritative. Philippians chapter 3. Not that I have already obtained this, or am already perfect, but I press on to make it my own, because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Let those of us who are mature think this way. And if in anything you think otherwise, God will reveal that also to you. Only let us hold true to what we have attained. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, Lord God, King of all, we come before you this morning not only to thank you for your word, but to ask, O Lord, that you would send your Spirit, the same author of the Word, to illumine our minds and our hearts, that we might not only hear this, your Word, but that we might be affected by it, that our lives might be changed, that we might be more obedient, that we might be people who love you more, people spurred on to love and good deeds by your grace, We ask all this in Christ's name. Amen. Have you ever watched someone engaged in a task that seems difficult, insurmountable, more than an ordinary challenge? And you've looked on and you said, I wonder how he does it. I wonder how she does it. How do they keep after what they're doing? We can think about it in terms of people who are very famous. Perhaps as we look back and watch a documentary or read a book about someone like Martin Luther King Jr., you wonder how does he go from city to city, from crowd to crowd, speaking over and over again, facing resistance, sometimes violence. How does he get up day after day and do this? You might think of it with respect to an athlete trying to recover from an injury, perhaps a torn ACL. And you wonder, how does he get the strength to get up every single day and do painful workouts? Not even really sure if they're working, but over and over again, going day by day, straining against all pain and struggle. Maybe it's a little bit closer to home. You look at someone and you wonder how that mom can possibly go day to day raising the children, teaching them school. 
How can those parents provide for all those children? How do they manage to hear themselves think? In all of these instances, what makes the mother and father go from day to day? What gets the athlete back on the weight machine? What put Martin Luther King Jr. in front of the next town was not what they were doing then. It was the goal that they were looking toward. Their eyes, to use what's now become a cliche, were on the prize, were on the goal of where they wanted to be. And so in those things we can see a glimpse of what the Christian life is like. And Paul gives us this passage to encourage us when we are downcast and to rebuke us when we think we have arrived, to point us to the prize, the goal of knowing Christ Jesus. The Christian life is indeed a race. And you've heard me say it before. It is not a hundred-yard sprint. It is not a dash. It is a marathon. Day upon day, week upon week, month upon month, year upon year. And Paul gives us advice, sound, inspired advice, and direction on how we are to run this race. The first thing that Paul will tell us is that we need to be reminded that there is a race to be run. Sometimes we forget that, that there actually is a race to be run. And then we need to be encouraged and pushed on to run the race. There is a race before us, but we must actually run it. And then finally, Paul reminds us that we don't run this race in our own strength. We don't need to have it all together to be in tip-top physical condition before we get in the starter blocks. Because there is indeed grace for this race. So first, the reminder that there is a race to run. And then a command to run the race. And then a gracious reminder that there is grace in this race. Let's look first then at Paul telling us that there is a race to be run. You know, just as if an Olympic athlete doesn't realize, doesn't think that they have won a gold medal just simply by going through the opening ceremonies. The Christian life is such that there is a race to be run. There is a beginning and an end to the Christian life. You see, you don't start at the finish line. We would think it would be absurd if we were playing a game or watching a sport and someone wanted to start at the finish line, right? I mean, what's the purpose? The race there is to be run from start to finish. And you don't get to start at the end. That's why they call the start the start and the end the end. But you see, we need to be reminded of that sometimes in our life in Christ, especially as we dwell upon all that God has done for us, just like Paul has talked about here in the passage before ours. We've just gotten through these past few weeks listening to Paul tell us of all the great blessings that are found for those who have faith in Christ Jesus. That if you have faith in the Lord Jesus Christ as the Savior of sinners, the Redeemer of your soul, the one who paid the price of death upon a cross, that you might have forgiveness of sins, adoption by the Father, be welcomed into His family, and have a mansion in glory. When that is all laid out before us and we bask in its glow, we sometimes need to be reminded 
that that hasn't arrived yet. That we haven't reached glory. You see, sometimes when we think about all that God has given to us, we tend to believe we've arrived. That we are indeed perfect. That we have achieved in ourselves everything that God has said He would do. And Paul realizes that some might think that was true of him. Even someone who'd experienced such difficulties as Paul. Perhaps this is a place where you can really empathize with the Philippians. You see, the Philippians might have been tempted to think that Paul was perfect. After all, he was a magnificent church planter, a pastor, an apologetical genius, one who suffered hardship for the cross, one who was always ready to give a testimony to the work of the Lord Jesus Christ. And you see, you might be tempted as well to look upon him as perfect. After all, he's an author of the Bible. He's written most of the New Testament. He's written many of the most memorable verses that we use to spur us on through life. You know, this is Paul. This isn't like it's me or my buddy down the street. This is Paul. He's really got it together. And Paul says, even someone like me, who has dedicated his life to the service of the Lord, whom the Lord has blessed, even me, you have to understand, I don't have it all together. He says, it's not that I've already obtained this. It's not that I'm perfect. You shouldn't think of this. When I talk about the blessings that come in Christ Jesus, it's not that I'm perfect. You see, he can sense that sometimes in the church there is a desire to think that there is nothing more to come. Because if we're not expecting anything more, we become very comfortable in what we have. We're comfortable with the way our lives are. We're comfortable with our habits of reading the scriptures. Comfortable with our prayer life. Comfortable with our relationships. And we think we have arrived. And Paul says, no. No. It is part and parcel of the Christian life to grow. If you are a Christian, you must grow. You must have a desire to grow in the Lord Jesus Christ. We might even put it this way. It is natural, in quotes, of course, because it's a supernatural work of God, but it is natural, it is a part and parcel of the redeemed child of God to want to grow in the grace and in the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's how Peter puts it at the end of his second epistle. This is something that is not only natural to us, it is a help to us. Growing in the Christian life is one of the main ways that we are assured of our salvation. You know, we looked out these past month or so wondering whether these couple of trees that we transplanted were alive. You remember those trees that were on each side here? They were green when they first came and then they got a little bit brown and then the leaves started to droop and they looked a little sticky. We looked out at them just to see if there was any kind of growth at all. Another bud. We watered them. We wondered. We, we probably could have put fertilizer around them. But all we saw them getting was more and more bare, more and more dead-like. And so eventually we came to the conclusion that they weren't alive at all and that they were actually a hindrance to our building, as it were, that we needed to get a new tree that would grow and bear fruit and that would be luscious and green. And so we yanked them out and left a big hole that had to be filled in. 
You see, it's kind of like that with the Christian life. If you wonder whether you really know the Lord Jesus Christ, and as I've said to you before, in the dark night of your soul, that will cross your mind. As the enemy comes alongside you, usually when something hasn't gone right, usually when you have messed something up, and he will whisper in your ear, well, you're not really a Christian anyway. Look at you. Look how sad you are. Look how weak you are. And we can step back and see how the Lord has brought growth to us. How maybe we only read three verses of the Bible a day. But we used to read none. How maybe we can only concentrate in prayer for 15 minutes. But that used to be five. Maybe how we have great difficulty being around other people and building relationships. But we used to hide in our homes. You see, that kind of growth, even small, spurs us on that God is at work in our life and it is an assurance to us. And by the same token, it is evidence to others that we are growing in grace, that we know the Lord Jesus Christ and that in the gospel is power because they see changed lives. It also does one other thing. Our growth in grace our assurance and evidence that God is at work brings glory to God. It is glorious to see the work of God in the midst of clay vessels. Have you ever thought about that? That by your growth in grace, God gets glory. Now, not that God needs more glory, not that He needs to add up all the sum of our glory in order to stay on top, no. But God is glorified in the midst of His people and in the midst of the world when His people grow. God is glorious. You don't start the race at the finish line, and that means that we need to recognize that we are not there yet. We haven't arrived. You've played this game, I use that in loose terms, with your children on long trips. Are we there yet? No. Five minutes later. Are we there yet? No. Are we there yet now? No. We need to get to where we're going. And sometimes in our car I will say something like, look, we have four hours left. Sometimes I'll say that even if there's three hours left, just so that we make sure that preempt some of the are we there yet's. But that's what the Christian life is like. We need to reach that goal. Paul is saying, I'm not satisfied with where I am now. He's saying, I am a church planter. I am a lover of the Bible. I am a pastor. I pray for my people. And I am not satisfied with where I am. I want God to take me to where He wants me to be. I don't want to be satisfied with Paul's standards. I want to be where God wants me to be. We see this even in our world. Did you ever wonder what would cause, for example, Michael Jordan to practice every single day in the offseason after he'd won a championship? After he'd won two championships? After he'd won three? Did you ever wonder what got him to come out of retirement? Why athletes do this? It's because they're not satisfied with where they are. They want to reach on to the goal. They've got their eyes on the prize. They're moving forward. And that's what the Christian life should be like, Paul says. Don't be satisfied with past successes. Move on to where God would have you to be. Dream 
love. Pour out your soul so that God would take you to heights you'd never even imagine. It's not possible with you. It's not possible with me. But all things are possible with God. We're pushed onward and upward. And notice how Paul lays out this progression. He says, first, it's not that I'd already obtained it in the past. But he says, now I press on right now in the present. Why? So that in the future I might make it my own. Paul is pushing on. He knows you don't start at the finish line. He also is perhaps, I think, fighting another set of doctrinal errors at Philippi. He's obviously fighting those who think that they have arrived and that they're perfect. They're at the finish line. They've made a profession of faith in Christ. And so now everything is perfect. But the alternative to that of saying I'm starting at the finish line is to call ahead and have someone move the 100-yard dash line up to about yard 30. And you run through a 30-yard finish line and you say, I'm done. I've won. I've finished. And everyone's looking around and saying, well, that's not really the finish line. How did it get to be? And they break out a laundry list of how and why the 30-yard line should be the finish line. And that's what the Judaizers are doing here at Philippi. They're setting up their own rules and their own regulations so that they can obtain perfection by the law. Not just justification, but perfection. And you see, their goal is what they had invented. And Paul says, don't let that be you. Don't make up a goal that you know you can reach and then act like it's a big deal when you've reached it. You know, I think the pinnacle of the Christian life, the pinnacle of Christian life is being able to read through all of 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John. And then you do that. Well, that's good. But that's certainly not the pinnacle of the Christian life. Don't let your behavior say that I have attained perfection simply because I have been baptized, because I attend church. Here the Judaizers would say, because I'm circumcised and I keep the laws of food and of dressing and of cleanliness. You see, there is still a race to be run. Don't think that you have finished it when you have gone part way. It's very easy and very tempting for us to set up partway goals and then to stop and camp out there. Paul says don't do that. He says there is a race to be run. And what you must do, Christian, is you must run this race. You must run this race first, Paul says, with effort. Notice what he says. Not that I have already obtained this or I'm already perfect but I press on to make it my own. Paul says, I use all the effort I can to run this race. Have you ever watched someone who's in a race that isn't really giving it their all? Or maybe you've seen something that, I'll have to confess, I don't understand. I don't really understand the concept of race walking. Other than it makes you look a little funny when you, when you go. I understand the concept of walking, for exercise, and I understand the concept of running. But I don't really get a race in which it is illegal to use all the efforts of your legs. You know, if you pick your leg up too high, they toss you out of the race. 
You see, Paul says that's not the kind of race that you should run. It should be a race with effort. You need to press on. Now, we all understand what that language means, to press on to something, to continue on, to go. But this word here is very vivid. It means to pursue, to go after. We might even talk about it in terms of being in hot pursuit of the goal. As a matter of fact, this pursuit is so hot that this word, this verb that Paul uses, you're familiar with. He says, I press on. But if we look back here at verse 6 of chapter 3, we see that Paul said, as to zeal, that is energy and effort, he was a persecutor of the church. Same word. He's almost saying, I'm persecuting this race. I am going after it. I am on its heels. I am dogged. Nowhere do I look to the left or to the right. With every bit of energy that I use to persecute the church, the same amount of energy I'm using to run this race. Paul is as active as he can possibly be. There is no laziness involved here. There is no halfway measure. Paul is pressing on. And he's pressing on for a purpose that he might make it his own. He wants to make this character, this perfection, this arrival at being like Christ Jesus, his own. And he's stepping up the pace. You see, in verse 12, he says, not that I have already obtained this, not that I've already got it in my hand, but he says, I want to make it. Same word, but a stronger form. He says, I want to obtain it, make it, grab it, and hold on to it. He has gusto, not just for life, but for the Christian life. He wants to have and hold and keep the Lord Jesus Christ. And to do that, he will strain forward, verse 13. He is straining forward to what lies ahead. This is another one of these words that is very vivid. There is a perfectly good ordinary word that says to stretch out for something. And it actually means to stretch out to the breaking point. Kind of like when you see a bodybuilder stretch or move their arms and veins are popping and muscles are moving, straining. You almost wonder, is their elbow going to break or is their muscle going to pop? Straining, stretching, every nerve. Paul says, I go beyond that. He says, I stretch out. I stretch out as far as I possibly can. Wait a minute, though, that's not enough. I stretch out and I stretch up. I stretch up and out as far as I can possibly go. Paul is saying, there is no better way that you can stretch than this. This is like the scene in the movies where someone's hanging over a cliff and they're holding arm out and trying to stretch using the fingernail if they can to touch and reach. Paul says, that's the kind of effort that I have. It's, again, athletic imagery. An athlete stretching everything that he has. You've seen pictures going across the finish line. They don't go across the finish line like this, do they, standing straight? No, they're either stretching their chest out, or now they've gone to stretching their head out, diving forward. Because they want to win the race. That's what Paul says. We might put it this way. Paul, to use our athletic imagery, Paul is going to leave it all on the field. 
Paul is going to be someone that they're going to have to carry off the field of the race. Because there's not going to be anything he's saving in the tank for something else. Run the race with effort, Paul says, but also run the race with focus. Because we all know what it's like in our own lives or as we observe others when there's a lot of energy but not much focus. Right? It's one of the ways that older athletes can get one up on younger athletes. Their focus is laser beam. And Paul says, not only am I pressing, not only am I straining, I'm doing this for one thing. He says, one thing I do. And it's actually even sharper than that. The I do is in italics in many of your Bibles because it's supplied. He says, one thing, only one. I do this. You see, Paul is focused only about the race. That's the only thing he's thinking on. It's ahead of him. And he will not take his eyes from it. I've had experience in the past to be around farmers. And I don't know if you've ever seen or watched a farmer plow a field, especially maybe in the third world where they're using one of these plows that's just a blade with sticks to hold. You would think that what the farmer would do is look at the ground and make sure that his line is short. But that's the absolute worst thing that the farmer can do. The worst thing he can do is to look down and make sure everything is short. The only thing that could possibly be worse is to look back as he's walking and to make sure that behind him is straight. You see, what the farmer does is he picks a fixed point, a tree, a fence post, a bush, and he keeps his eyes on that focused at all times. And only by doing that is the line straight. And that's what Paul says. He says what you have to do in the Christian life is you have to forget what's behind. You can't look back. When you put your hands to the plow, you've got to go forward. When you profess faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, there is no turning around. That's it. It's a life-changing decision. Not just in terms of your eternal destiny, in terms of everyday life. And it doesn't matter whether you make that decision at 11 or at 61. It is a life-changing decision. You must forget what is behind. Because you see, Paul knows two things about that. The first thing is, is we are tempted to look back and look at all of our shortcomings and get dragged down. To see all of our broken relationships, all of the arguments in our marriage, all of the things we could have done with our children, all of the choices we should have made with our job, all of the things we could have done at church, all of the time that was wasted that could have been used to spiritual growth. And we beat ourselves down. Oh, never had family devotions ever. Oh, if only I'd been reading the Bible through every year, I would have read it through 15 times by now. Oh, if only I would have cultivated my prayer life, I'd be a super prayer warrior and I would be a a help to the church. Oh, if I'd only, oh, if I'd only. Paul says, forget that. It's irrelevant. Keep your eyes forward. You want to be a prayer warrior? Pray. You want to know your Bible? Read. You want to have good relationships? Do it. Follow the commands of God. Seek God's grace. Go forward in Christ. Don't look back. 
But you see, there's also another temptation. Because some of us shake our heads and say, well, you know, we did grow up in a Christian home. Been doing the catechism since I was five. Been reading the Bible. Have a quiet time every morning. We have a temptation to look back and to dwell upon all our past successes. And to get focused there. And Paul says, don't do that either. You stop going forward. Have you ever watched a 100-yard dash and watched men run who are close? Trying to see where they are in the race. The most you will ever get is a little look out of the corner of the eye. Have you ever seen anybody ever in a 100-yard dash go like this, whip his head around? Never. If you did, you know what would be the next thing you'd see? You'd see... Falling all over the place. They wouldn't be able to keep track of where they were. And Paul says, don't look back at your past success. Don't worry about if you're a yard ahead of somebody. Run toward the goal. Don't worry about all of the things that God has given to you. Don't worry about all of the things that have gone wrong in your life. Press forward toward the goal. Strain forward like an athlete, like a runner in a race toward what lies ahead. Because the race is a marathon. We have to go forward, not back. So Paul says we must run the race. We must run this race with effort. We must run it with focus. We must also run it with a goal in mind. I think one of the worst connotations in terms of athletics and what we are supposed to achieve, and then it spills over into life, is this simple marketing slogan. Just do it. Do what? Do it how? Do it why? No, just do it. Well, what does that mean? Does that mean run? Does that mean sit? Does that mean shoot a basketball? Does that mean tackle somebody? Or does that mean try and avoid getting tackled? What does that mean? You see, the Christian life isn't just do it. We don't just run a race willy-nilly. We don't pick out our own goal and say, well, I think I'm going to run there and I'm going to win the race because everybody else is running there. We follow the goal that God has set down before us. There is a clear goal in view that Paul says. He says, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God. He doesn't say, I press onward so I feel better. He doesn't say, I press onward because I know what I'm doing. He says, I press onward for the goal for the prize. Now, this is applicable not just to those who are running the race. This is applicable to those who are thinking about running the race. Who think they might be in the race, but they're not. You see, there is a goal to life. To glorify God and enjoy Him forever. The way to do that is to come into relationship with Him. And to be blessed by Him. And the way to come into relationship with Him is by faith. To believe in the one that He sent, the Lord Jesus Christ. And that is what Paul is saying. He's saying if you're on the sidelines, you've got to get in the race. But it's got to be the right race. And you've got to run in the right direction. Otherwise, you're just like someone who's got the fastest hot rod in the road, but you're driving down the wrong way of the freeway. Maybe not the first exit. Maybe not the second exit. But eventually you're going to crash because you're going the wrong way. You see, this race is not up to everyone. 
It is not fill in the blank. Because the Christian life is a race guided by God and by His truth and by His Word. His Word that tells us where the race is going, how it is to be run, why it is to be run. There is a goal in mind. A question then for you. Have you ever sat back and and taken stock of your life? It's very easy to get caught up in the everyday, isn't it? There's plenty of work to be done. There's kids in school, stuff to be done around the house, people to help, things to study, things to learn. But have you ever sat back and taken stock of your life and made sure that the things that you're doing with your family are toward the goal of pressing on toward the prize of Christ Jesus? Have you ever thought about your hobbies, how they help you to press on toward the goal? You say, hobbies? Do your hobbies make you an angry, sullen, reclusive person? Then they don't help you to press toward the prize. Do your hobbies relax you and allow you to have opportunities to speak with others, maybe even on occasion share the gospel? Then it doesn't matter what your hobby is. It's part of pressing toward the goal. You see, that's what it is. There is a goal in mind. And what is this goal? Paul tells us here, In verse 12, he says, I press on to make it, to make it my own. What is it? Because Christ Jesus has made me his own. And actually, the because there is could be also translated, I I press on to make it my own for the very thing which Christ made me his own. I'm striving for the very reason that Jesus bought me with his blood. Stop and think about that for a minute. It's a little bit theological. I need, I want, I strive after the reason that Jesus saved me. The question is then, why did Jesus save you? Was it so you could wear dapper shirts? Was it so you could be a successful entrepreneur? Was it so you could sing first place in the choir? Was it even so that you could teach Sunday school? No. Jesus saved you that you might be like him. That you might be sinless. That you might be conformed into his image. That's why you are made right with God. That's why you are adopted into his family. And that's why all of the Christian race is a shedding aside of everything that is not like Jesus. And that's why the culmination of the race in glory is to be like him, John says in 1 John. That is the goal that Jesus has for Paul. That is the goal that Jesus has for you. Is that your ultimate goal in life? Is your ultimate goal to be more like Jesus every single day? To be found like him? That's what the Bible says your goal in life should be, to be more and more like Jesus. How do we do this then? Paul's told us that there is a race we are to be in. He's told us we need to run it, and we need to run it with energy, with vigor, with focus toward one goal. It's a very daunting task, isn't it? Well, what Paul tells us is that God has equipped us in this race. He has given us his grace He equips us 
to run the race as we should. The very first thing he does to equip us is what we've just said. That is, he gives us the goal. Have you ever thought about that? How hard it would be to run the race of life if you didn't know what the reason was. If you wonder about that, all you need to do is look around you at the world where people need to go and find themselves, where people flit from one thing to the other because they don't know what their purpose in life, what our purpose in life is. Well, maybe you don't have to look around. Maybe that's you. Maybe you don't know what your purpose in life is. Maybe you don't know what it's all about. You're not really sure why you're here. And the Bible tells you what it is. God says through his word that the goal is that you might be united to Jesus Christ. You might be in Christ and you might be like him and therefore you might glorify the Father for all eternity. Christ puts the goal out there for us. We don't need to figure it out for ourselves. What a gracious act of our God and Father. But he also not only sets the goal, he sets the prize before us. It's not impossible to run a race without a gold medal. But let's be honest. It's a bit easier to get worked up for it, isn't it? When you know the prize that's at the end. We've actually gotten to the point now where in sports, everybody gets a trophy. The winners, the losers, the tires, everybody gets a trophy, right? Because they want that prize. They want that goal. And Christ has laid that before you as well. The prize before you is not only Christ-likeness, but being with Christ, being in Christ. This is how God equips us for this race, empowers us. But he doesn't just equip us. He also calls us. What do I mean by that? I mean that the very reason that we are in this race, not just that we know there's a race, but we know it's our race, is because of God. You see, it's the call of God that puts us in the game, as it were. Otherwise, we would have no desire on our own. You see, Paul says he presses onward toward the goal of the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. And all that is found in Christ Jesus, we looked at this earlier last week, righteousness, power, sharing his sufferings, being like him, resurrection, all of that comes from God. You see, we don't run the race in order to get these things. God puts his call upon our life and places us in the race with these things assured. Our salvation doesn't come to us because of what we do, even believing in Christ. Our salvation comes to us because God has reached down and plucked us up and cleansed us and put us in the presence of His Son and given us His Spirit and given us His Word that we cannot help but irresistibly be drawn to the beauty of Jesus Christ. Remember that God has done that for every single one of His children. Not just the special ones. If you are here today in Christ Jesus, God Himself has looked upon you at your worst. Worse than you thought could be your worst. 
And he has set his love upon you and called you to himself that you might be with him for all eternity. He didn't look out and say, well, you know, he's a pretty fast runner. He's got a one-lap lead in a ten-lap race. I think I'll love him. No. God calls us up and takes us back from death and gives us the life we need to run this race. It is not a mere invitation, this call. It is not a whispering of sweet nothings in your ear. It is not a suggestion that you might want to possibly think about running. It is a call that is effectual, that grabs you out of your sin and complacency and puts you on a path toward Jesus. God has done that that you might run. Does that invigorate you? That, should, that knowledge should be like when you see these marathon runners run, and then you see these groups of people holding out water or Gatorade or Propel or whatever the brand of the week is, and they grab it and they down it, shake their head, put their head down and go even faster. The knowledge of what God has done in calling you to himself is like that in the race. That's why the truth of the Bible is there for us. That's why the theology of the Bible is there. Not just so that we might know things and contemplate them in the abstract, but so that it might spur us on. That we might run the race with renewed vigor. That we might know that this is the power of God accomplishing this. It is God's call and it is an upward call. It is a call that takes us up and out. This upward call is the same word that is used when Jesus says, you must be born from above. Same preposition. You must be born from above. You must be called from above. You must be empowered from above. It is the call to do the Father's will, to be like Jesus Christ, to delight in obeying to delight in seeing Him glorified in the midst of His people. And it's a call that is found in the Word of God. Do you notice what Paul says here? It's actually a little bit confusing, I think. Look at verse 15. Let those of us who are mature think this way. And if in any way you think otherwise, God will reveal that also to you. Only let us hold true to what we have attained. What does that mean? Do you think Paul is saying, well, those who are mature, we should think the way I do. But if you don't, well, that's okay. God will reveal it to you later. Does it really matter? Does that sound Paul-like? It doesn't to me. Not from what we've been looking. Paul's not a go-along, get-along. This is not Rodney King theology. Can't we all just do whatever we want? No, he's just said we're running a race. It's a specific race. We've been called by a specific call. We have a specific goal. We run it in a specific way. So what is Paul saying here? What he's saying here is those of you who are mature think this way. You think after this fashion. You have it in your minds. But if there is any fashion in which you are weak, anything that's rough around the edges, does anybody here know any Christian who's rough around the edges? If you don't, We'll go out together and we'll find a mirror. And I'll look at myself and you can look at yourself as we're each rough around the edges. Paul's saying if you're at all rough around the edges, God will reveal his truth to you in his word. You don't need to worry about, are there two false starts or three? Do I have to stay in my lane or do I move after the first lap? 
you don't have to worry about all of the details of the race. Not because they're not important. They are. But because God will reveal them to you through His Word. And it is not an individualistic thing. I don't get to choose to one run direction because I feel like it and you get to run another direction. Your rules aren't to stay in the lane and my rules are I could bump you out of your lane. That's not how this works because it is something that can be attained, Paul says. It is something that is out there to be grasped, to be gotten to. It is something that is thought out that we are to hold on to. It is something that might not make you comfortable. It's something that's risky. You see, God is after a fashion taking a risk with you and his word. He puts his word in front of you and he wants you to obey it. He's risking that you will do the right thing. He's revealing what he has revealed that you might run the race in the right way toward the right goal. But of course, this risk is not a real risk at all. Because it's God who is empowering. It's God who is guiding by His Spirit. It's God who has laid down His Word irresistibly before you. It's the kind of risk that a parent takes with a child when they're completely in control. Right? It's the risk a parent takes to let a child use the blender for the first time. When there's a big bowl with not much food in it and only on low and you're standing there. Sure, it's a risk after a fashion, but not really. But you see, that's what the Christian life is like from our perspective. We need to grab out and take it. What God has put before us, we need to grab and go for. We need to grab on to prayer. We need to grab on to learning the truth of His Word. We need to grab on to fellowship. We need to grab on to encouragement. Because God has laid it before us. That's what He's designed for us. This is the goal that is laid out in front of us. And what happens is this. It's when an athlete like a Jesse Owens practices running day upon day upon day, timing his start, listening for the starter's pistol, checking his paces, toning his muscles, so that when the day of the race comes, He could seize the prize. Even when everyone around him is saying, you can't do that. You're subhuman. You can't do that. You're not good enough. You can't do that. You haven't tried enough. That's the Christian life. Struggling with every nerve to grab the prize that Jesus has held out for us. Not looking behind. Not looking around. But looking for Jesus. Let us pray.